This is a Sunday talk by Todd Corbett titled Devotion Through Unknowing, recorded June 19th, 2016, at the Center for Sacred Sciences in Eugene, Oregon. When we are devoted, we have to really know or have a sense of what it is that we're devoted to. And because we're stuck in this belief in the story of I, we're not able to recognize what it is that we're devoted to. We think we're devoted to ourself, and that's really our experience. I mean, who is it that is the most wonderful person in our life? We may not want to believe that, but when we look, we start to see, yes, indeed. What is the center? Who is at the center of this entire display that we experience day in and day out? And the other question is, who is it that is devoted to this self? Who is that? And if we look, we realize we don't really know. So, one teaching that we find in all of the mystical traditions, in one form or another, is the teaching of not knowing. Not knowing. Basically meaning that no matter what we think we know, somehow, we don't know anything. Which is, a, you know, sounds really paradoxical to us. It's a, it's a fundamental teaching, though. So if we're going to engage in mysticism, we need to come to terms with what is being talked about. At the center, we talk about it, we we refer to it sometimes as kenosis. It's It's a state of not knowing. Not knowing anything. Not even knowing that we have a self. Not experiencing a self. It's not true recognition or realization, but it is sort of the precursor to it. In fact, in order to awaken, we have to first, at least for a moment, step into kenosis, this not knowing. Because as long as we are full of a story about what is, we can never actually see the reality that is always right here. In Zen, we had Korean Zen master Son Sinem, who frequently used the term, don't know mind. And in Christian mysticism, we, some of us are familiar with a, a, a book that was written uh, by an unknown author called The Cloud of Unknowing. And in this book, he's talking about the, the necessity of suspending all of your thoughts and dropping into not knowing and really seeing that you don't know. And this is because, as long, as I said before, as long as we think we know what things are, we can't see the reality of what is. And the essence of all of this is summed up nicely by Hindu sage Shankara when he says, No matter what a deluded man may think he is perceiving, he is really seeing Brahman, and nothing else but Brahman. Brahman being the absolute, God. 
He sees mother of pearl and imagines that it is silver. He sees Brahman and imagines that it is the universe. But this universe, which is superimposed upon Brahman, is nothing but a name. It's nothing but a name. It's nothing but an idea, a belief, a story. So just for a moment, consider everything that you see, everything that you know from this guy's perspective (laughs) is an imagination. And it's an imagination that is being conceived within this oneness, this totality of being, God. And in fact, there is nothing else but that. But for the most part, this is not our experience, right? We don't really experience it. And so, we could say that the reason we don't experience it is because of this problem that we think we know. And so, let's, let's look at this thing of knowing for a moment and see what it really amounts to. And I use this analogy a lot. And maybe it gets old after a while, but that's okay. I'll probably continue to use it because it's very direct. But right here you see what we call a hand. Now, we know this is a hand. We have no question, right? I mean, what what else could it be? Is it Brahman? Uh-uh. It's not Brahman. It's a hand, right? So... What is that name? What does that perception really amount to? It's something we learn somewhere along the way. When we were little, and we're going, hmm, huh. And our, and our parents, they look at us and they go, that's a hand. Do you know? A hand. And then we go, yeah, good, good. <laughs> and eventually we go, yeah, and. And we'll, we'll come up with all kinds of variations on the theme, but eventually we got it. A hand. 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 And then, of course, we learn my. My hand. We distinguish it from other people's hands because if we bite this one, ow, it hurts. But if we bite that one, mommy's, it doesn't hurt. So that must be other than me. So we start creating these stories about our experience based on what we seem to be experiencing. And these are definitional ideas that are being superimposed on this. But if you look at this closely, you realize whatever name we put on this, it's just a name being superimposed on something we know not what. We don't actually know what this is, ever. And we can't know. We can't know because any time we think we know, we're just putting another name on that which we don't know. And so it's a puzzle for the mind. The mind goes, well, that's just silly. We'll just give it a name, and now we know. But you see, we don't know. And in fact, 
the belief that we think we know what this is, is the veil to actually knowing what this is. This is extremely important to see. Does, do you follow what I'm saying? I recommend that you continue to look at this because this, what I'm speaking of right here, will just go through the mind like a sieve. Because the mind, it don't want to know this. Because, as we'll see, the more we begin to recognize that we don't know, we start to see glimpses of what is beneath. And to tell you the truth, at first, it's frightening. But if we stay with our fear, it's no longer frightening. It's only frightening if we take the fear to be, again, a name, a, a, a description, a definition of our experience. But if we allow that fear to be present fully, it's not fear. Fear is what happens when we turn away from fear, when we run from fear. So now that we've talked about the hand, let's look at the whole thing. When you're not thinking about yourself, when you don't have any images about who you are, where are you? What are you? Is there someone there? When you're not defining yourself by anything, when you're not bringing in memories and stories about what you've done before, what you like, what you don't like, things that have happened to you that were wonderful, things that have happened to you that were horrible, when you're not bringing any of that in, Is there a you? Think about it. In the absence of your definitions of me, there's nobody there. But something is there. Something is awake. Something is recognizing this in this moment. You just don't know what it is. And if you think you know what it is, you have just put a name on the hand. You've just put a name on that which has no name and cannot actually have a name. So as long as you are not defining yourself in a moment, as long as you're not dredging up memories of yourself, as long as you're not thinking about yourself, you don't exist as a person, as a separation, as an entity. But what does exist is what you always have experienced. This, this sense of being free from any identification at all. It's always been here. It is the pure awareness itself. 
look in your own experience right now. Don't take my word for it. Even if you have thoughts about me, notice those thoughts are just like the thoughts about the hand. They're coming and they're going all the time. But the reality, we don't know what it is. We don't know what this is. The reality remains unchanging, ever-present, nameless. It's an awake nothing. And it's what you are. Awake nothingness. That seems pretty crude. There's more. It's not just an awake nothingness. But for our purposes at this moment, it's very helpful to see it that way. Because if we're going to talk about this, how are we going to talk about it? It's nothing. It's nothing. So what definition am I going to give you about it? There is no definition for this. It's nothing. But, and you can see this right now, it's awake. It's aware. Thoughts arise, they pass away. They have nothing to do with you, in a sense. They are not defining you at all, no matter what it tells you, no matter how it says it. Yes, I'm me. Yes, yes, I'm me. I'm me. doesn't matter. That thought is arising, and it's already gone. And the reality of what you are remains ever-present, shining, perfection, eternal, At any moment, however, even if we see this clearly at first, at any moment, when we are going along going, wow, there's nobody here, nobody here, we suddenly can become fearful in that moment. And when we become fearful, suddenly there is that self. And it's funny about this because it retrogradely fills the gap. The gap is totally filled. We look at we look and we go, yeah, I'm here. Oh, thank God, I'm here. I'm here. And we look into the past and go, yeah, I remember all those things that happened. Oh, thank God. But those are all thoughts. And they're already passing. This is this can be a nail biter at first. It can scare us. But if we get used to it and we continue to bring our attention back to recognizing despite all these thoughts coming and going, there is only this awakeness. We get used to it. It's, it's kind of nice. It's very relaxing. It's more than relaxing. The more you fall into this, as we'll see, and maybe for the first time, we discover bliss. So, how is it that we manage to be ignorant of this? The mind that we are identified with skips over it. For that very reason, it's afraid to see it 
And it just basically relegates it to nothing. It feels like nothing, because it is nothing. And we're used to something. We're used to definitions. We live in definitions. We are an idea. We are an emotional idea. It's called me. And so we just keep skipping over this gap. And it's there between every thought. Every feeling. And if we watch closely, we see that everything that is arising in this moment is arising and passing. If we watch closely, even visual phenomena are coming into being and passing away moment by moment. It is a process that we begin to notice. Because every moment of seeing anything visually is a moment of cognition. We are cognizing in this moment. And the sense that things are lasting in time is a cognition that is arising in this moment. And we experience it that way when we discover this. We start to see. It's all about this recognition of not knowing. So, right now, and you can leave your eyes open, and just for a moment, recognize. Thoughts arise and pass away in something, in a space of awareness. Just rest in that for a moment. What does this feel like? Thoughts arise and pass away. The sense of you. Think of you and notice it's just a thought. It's already passing. What does that feel like? Now, seriously, take this Take this deeply and look. Is there someone here that is aware? Notice what comes up in the mind. It's an image. A thought. But if no image and no thought arises, There's just this awareness, this awake nothing. Does this awake nothing have an edge?
So in your experience, the mind says, I'm sitting in a room. All of the images that are in this room, they're thoughts. Chair, wall, person. They're all thought, perception. So let's make it a little more concrete. You're trying to find the edge of this awareness. And you come to a wall. Ah, there's the edge. Is it? The wall is itself the awareness. The awareness of a perception. What we call wall is the pure awareness of it. what we begin to discover is that this awakeness only knows itself. It doesn't know anything other than itself. God only knows God. And whatever arises within it is it. Everything is a manifestation of this awareness. How could it be otherwise? Whatever is arising in your experience right now, if there were no awareness present, it would not arise. If you look in your own experience, it must have awareness to arise. In fact, all we have ever experienced in our entire life, which is just now, by the way, All of it is this pure awareness of it and nothing else. It's all pure experiencing. We think we see a table. We hear the sound. It's all the experiencing of the table. The experiencing of the sound. But we can't actually find anything other than that experience. We think we found something solid. That is another experience. So when we embark on this kind of an investigation, we are engaging what is called inquiry. Inquiry into the nature of what is. And why would we even engage in such a thing? And the reason is that we are devoted. We may not realize we're devoted. We may just think that we're curious. Oh, you know, I'm curious about what I am. But if you look closely, of course we want to know what we are. It's driven from deep. We want to know. We feel isolated. We feel separate. And we suffer in that isolation. And in that suffering, we begin to strive to feel better. We want to feel better. We want to feel more whole somehow. So we go out and we buy stuff and we learn stuff 
And we do all kinds of things to make ourselves feel better, but all we're doing is amassing more knowledge, more pretense about what is going on. And we create layer after layer after layer of stories and beliefs and names. And as Shankar would tell us, it is all just name. It is all actually this awakeness. We have ideas about what this is. But those ideas are just thoughts. And as long as we cling to them, we can't see the fact that we don't know. And when we really discover we can't know, we are ripe to awaken. We are ready to notice the next thing that comes along. The next tree, the next blade of grass, can show us it too is this awakeness. And in that moment, the whole field of identification shifts. And we recognize what we are. We have always been this awakeness. We have never been anything else. Thoughts will continue to arise and pass, but now we see what they are. So for a moment, once again, just allow your attention to relax and feel what it is that is aware. Just feel it. It's not an idea, so don't look for an idea. If we were going to call it anything, we would say it is devotion. Allow yourself to open in love to this, this unknown, in which all phenomena arise and pass. Anybody wake up? <laughs> Sometimes just in a little bit of startle, the mind will open just spontaneously and notice what it truly is. So if you woke up, that's okay. You could come up to me afterwards. That's fine. You have to make a big thing. <laughs> what I wish you'd do is do it again when I'm not paying attention. <laughs> I, I was just fine until just before you did that and then I wanted to write something I wouldn't forget it and you did that and I thought you sneezed <laughs> when we rest into this awake nothingness this awareness feel what that is just feel it no expectation. When we truly rest into this, we really see this is it. This is what I have always been. 
never anything else. This is blissful. This is joy. We recognize there's nothing to be afraid of here. Feel it. It's already there. Even if you don't recognize the truth of this, absolutely, every time you feel joy or love, you're feeling this. A human being is a manifestation of this. It's a perception. It's an idea. It doesn't actually know anything or feel anything. It is only consciousness, this awake emptiness that knows everything that you seem to know. It creates all of this moment by moment. But it never becomes real in itself. It's always just a metaphor, an imagination. It may sound anthropomorphic to say Consciousness, or this awakeness, loves to express itself. But that's kind of what my experience is. That consciousness loves to play. It loves, like an artist, loves to do its art form, which is creation. It loves to do this. It's a very dynamic play. It loves to create it, and it loves its creation. So right now, this awakeness loves all that you are, however you are. If you have qualities that you think are just really disgusting, this awakeness loves that. It loves it exactly as it is. And why? It has given birth to it. It has brought it into being. It is a manifestation of itself. And it only knows itself in all of its creation, whatever it may be. But what's important on our path, and the thing that we discover is that in order to know this awakeness fully, and you may have gotten glimpses today, and you may have woken up today, but to know this fully, we need to show up for all of the things that we normally avoid. We need to show up for all of them, because as long as we resist doing so, we are resisting the love of the divine. It's true that even our resistance is a manifestation of that love. But the problem that we have is that as long as we are identified with the self, we experience the suffering. It drives us. It drives delusion. So what we're doing now is we are basically realizing that whatever it is that we are avoiding is God's creation. And because of that, 
We want to know it as it truly is. We want to allow it to be just as it is. As I said earlier, if we're afraid, we allow ourselves to feel that fear. We bring the fear into our heart and we allow it to be there. And if there's movements to push that fear away and we see the aversion, and it'll come in many forms, we see we start talking a lot. Sometimes when we talk a lot, we're really experiencing fear. We're not allowing ourselves to be completely present with the fear. We won't show up for the fear. But rather, the fear is then driving our chatter. And we're chattering away. We're thinking, thinking, thinking. It's a way to somehow protect ourselves from this fear. So we start to recognize this movement. And we see we have compassion in that moment when we recognize. You see, we have compassion because in that moment, this awake presence is moving into our experience. It's, it's, starting, it's starting to move in and our identification with the story of I is starting to vacate. It's starting to move out. The more we love in this way, the more we begin to recognize through the eyes of the beloved. We begin to see through the eyes of this which we call awake nothing. So this is a very interesting thing. When we feel sad, we feel this sorrow. Deep sorrow. Someone that we love is gone. And we, we, our heart is breaking. And we want to somehow get beyond it. But we can never get beyond it. It's our love that is driving it. We don't need to get beyond anything. What we need to do is recognize it for what it is. Feel that sorrow. Allow that sorrow to be present within us just as it is. To feel it nakedly. And if tears are there, wonderful, let the tears flow. It's all a process of opening to all of our experience. And in doing so, we discover in sorrow that sorrow is truly joy. It's this peculiar alchemy that takes place. We begin to recognize our experience through the eyes of the beloved. No matter what sorrow and what tragedy is arising in our experience, that tragedy is a creation of this. And we see it and we rebel against it. And within our conventional world, we better rebel against it. Because that is what we are trained to do. That is what the conventional world is about. When there's a terrorist attack, we don't just, you know, fall into some kind of la-la land. We feel the sorrow. We see the treachery of the thing. And we don't try to somehow make it all better. We feel it exactly as it is. At the same time, skillfulness arises to somehow correct the problem, make 
it possible that maybe we can avoid that happening again? And maybe there are some strong actions that need to be taken. But all of this needs to be allowed within recognition of what is truly taking place. And so when we, when we respond to someone that is being brutal, we recognize that quality in them that is causing them to act that way. They are just lost. They are deluded. And in seeing that, our heart can open. And we can allow this to be just as it is. And with an open heart, then once again, we are discovering our nature. We are discovering the reality of what we are. So one thing that we find as we do our daily meditation practice, once we've kind of gotten through the, the initial stages of struggling with, you know, learning to stay on our breath or do our mantra or whatever that is, once we settle in, it's kind of like learning to shift gears. You know, when you're first learning to meditate, it's, it's clunky, you're grinding, you're, you can smell that clutch burning, and it's like, oh, man. But after a while, we don't even know we're doing it. You shift the gears, you can drive to town, you shift the gears dozens of times. You may not even notice that you've done it. It just happens. The meditation is like that. You finally get to where you're just settling with your breath or your mantra. And you're just in the moment. You're just resting in the moment. And whatever arises, it's arising and passing away. And we begin to very, actually very easily, we begin to notice this awake nothingness. But then what happens is we think we're supposed to be getting something here. We start thinking, well, yeah, okay, I see the I see the awake nothing, and you know, and it's kind of cool and everything, but isn't there some kind of payoff here? Now that is that's just another emotions. We can call it desire, and that needs to be seen too. So we allow that to be here, and we don't act on it. We don't run after whatever it is we think we want. This longing for something is love. It's at the core of every emotion that we experience in duality. It is love that drives our anger. It is love that drives our sorrow. At the core of of anger is the love that is being thwarted by something getting in the way of us having what we truly love. And in the world of delusion, we get fixated on forms, and when we lose them, we are horrified. But that sense of being angry or being horrified is really based on the love of that thing that was lost. But when we recognize that that thing that was lost by its nature has to be transient. It is just an imagination. No matter how real we want it to be, just like the hand. 
And of course it's, it's impermanent in passing. What is real in that equation, however, is the love that is driving it. That love, that's what we want to recognize, to be with. We can see that all of our emotions are driven by love. Love is the primal emotion. So more and more we just settle into this. And this is a process. We, you know, we see, we'll get a glimpse of it. And it would be great if we could just all come into a room like this and we point out. It's all just awakeness. Notice the thoughts when they drop away. It's just this awake presence. It would be great if we could just wake up at that point. But we have things that are still coming up. These emotions, for example. This awakeness is coming for these things. Consciousness wants to know itself once again. It's like it's lost touch with these things. It's created them, it's loved them, and it loves them still. But now there is suffering when we start to realize that there's nothing in the world for us that's going to bring us happiness. We really start to suffer. We're longing. And consciousness recognizes. And compassion opens the path to us. Consciousness comes back for all of our delusions. It brings them all into itself, and they are discovered to be pure consciousness, pure awareness in the process. This is devotion. Consciousness is the only thing that is devoted. We aspire to devotion on our path. It's wonderful that we do. Because when we do that, what we're doing is we are invoking this divine essence within our being. And the more we love, the more this divine being shines within us and permeates all of our experience. And it comes through not knowing. It comes through not knowing what a thing is because... By realizing that we don't know what a thing is, we are open to God showing us the reality of what we are. God comes back for us. And we realize that we have always been that. But always, until until we really awaken from this, we are captivated by the story, by the images. And we need to keep seeing them when they come up. They are there for us. Those stories, when they arise, it's like they are coming up for us to see, for us to show up for them, to recognize them for what they truly are. And when we do that, they are transformed. They are burned up, in a sense. They are no longer anything real in themselves. God is no longer God. If we have a strong belief in God, we realize God is just a story. The reality of God 
It's here. It is real. It is living presence right now. So notice, just in closing, notice it is this awake awareness that is looking through your eyes, hearing through your ears, feeling through your senses, Right now, this it is what you are. In the Quran, when Muhammad asks Allah, what will I tell the people when they ask why you created all of this? And Allah replied, I was a hidden treasure that longed to be known that loved to be known. And that is what we discover right there. This hidden treasure, it is hidden behind names. And when we begin to open to it, joy, bliss, is our experience. Are there any comments or questions? Yes. Um, in the view of, of trying to be unknowing, does that mean that that is counter to most of our beliefs that we have, as you said, learned from our experiences? Actually, no. Not at all. Our conventional knowing is beautiful. It's perfect. The problem that we have is taking them to be real in themselves. So, our conventional knowledge is actually quite functional. It works quite well. It's so perfectly lawful. So in the physical world, that's uh, a thing that we, it's just the way we are. We now, take ideas or let them go and, and before we form our beliefs on our experiences. Yeah. Isn't that for our physical world, not necessarily our spiritual world? Really, it's all one world. Like, for example, here I am, I'm giving a talk. I'm reading, talking, got a table here. It's, you know, this couldn't happen if we didn't have our conventional realities, right? But it's not a reality in itself. It's like being in a dream. Imagine we're dreaming right now. I mean, just imagine, this is a dream, and there you are, and you're asking this question, It's all very real, but it's not real. And we can see, just as I started out, yes, it's a hand. If someone comes up to me and asks me, what's that? I'm going to go, it's a hand, because it is. It's a hand within our conventional nomenclature. But it's not a hand. It's, it's, it's what it is. It's, it's beyond thought. We can't talk about it as an idea. I mean, we can when we do, but when we move into the spiritual realm, 
All of our ideas are imagination, just like in a dream. So if you are having a dream and you're looking at the hand and you go, yeah, it's a hand. I know it's a hand. I don't care what Todd says. It's a hand. When you wake up from that dream and you look at it and you go back and you go, well, it wasn't a hand. It was the pure imagination of a hand. It was the pure awareness of a hand. It was never a hand. That is our experience all the time if we look. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Good. Yes, Jim. In the story by Weak You Be, the hero or the villain. So I have a tendency, if I'm suffering, I say something's wrong. You know, I really take a look at that. I really feel the eye there. But when I'm happy, I have less tendency to question. Should we be questioning that? Because it's still an eye there. It's a, still, it's, it's a strong sense, a strong presence. So what I would suggest is, to, if you're truly happy, there's, no, there's never going to be an impetus to look because it's, you're awake in that moment. You see, we are already awake. We don't know it. But we're already awakeness. That's what we are. So when you're happy, you're experiencing awakeness. But if you're attributing that happiness because I got the new car, then notice that happiness is, is dependent upon something. And so you could, you could question whether that's truly happiness. So when you recognize, for example that it is all awake, nothing. And that is what you experience. That kind of happiness is a deep contentedness. It's a sense of not needing anything because it's complete. You're whole. There's nothing, there's nothing other than this. And when you look around, you love what you see. And you look around and you see something and it goes, well, wow, that shouldn't be here. I'm happy, but I don't like that. Then that's something to examine. Consciousness loves all of its creation. So you can use that as a kind of a guide and, and in your practice. It's like, okay, so if God loves this, and I'm hating it, then I need to maybe look at what's going on within me. How am I identifying with this hatred? And of course, as I mentioned before, if we bring that hatred within and we let it be here, just as it is. We discover its nature. We discover it isn't really hatred at all. But, you know, it's, it's a process of love. We, we open into the, the essence of what we are when we allow things to be as they are. Yes? Are you kind of saying that when we have different thoughts, they're kind of like veils, like filters that are obstructing our true presence coming As long as we are deluded into believing that they stand for something real, in other words, in the story of I, a lot of our thoughts are all all hinged around the story of I. Mm -hmm. And emotion. And emotion, exactly, exactly. These things um, are deluding us. They they become the veil. With awakening, however, as I said earlier, they are recognized as the perfect creativity of the divine. And we love them. So they're, not, they're no longer the problem that they were or that we deemed them to be 
on our path and we're always going, oh, there's more thought. We don't have to go through that on our path. We can recognize thought and we can, we can allow it to be just as it is. Does that help? It, it does. It seems that when you do have these thoughts that are, are um, the story of why, and you look at them and you feel the emotional impact of them, that perhaps they're little clues of looking a little further mm-hmm. as to why you're getting stuck in the suffering. Yes, indeed. And, and the clue can then, then be brought to kind of a fruition when we, we, we bring them in and we let them be. If there's an emotion, if, if we discover the sense of wanting something to be different than it is, then we bring that in and we let it be. And when we do that, we discover. It's just a thought. And it's a feeling. And when the sense of not enoughness melds into the unknowing, this, this, this awake nothingness. We realize it's just that. It's never anything other than God. So we are all of our emotional reactions to it. <sighs> just relax. I just to to kind of riff off what you were just saying, which is beautiful in kind of a real internal sense, but like this if God loves this and I hate this, what is this? Is the question. And yet there are things that arise that we feel aversion to because they're, I hate to always be bringing this up, but there's these, there's aggression and social injustice. And and you don't want that just to melt away. I mean, if you still sit with it, it may melt away and you might recognize that that injustice is part of the greater consciousness moving. Or you may find that it's, calling you to speak or calling you to move, right? You're actually answering your own question. I know. And that's good. (laughs) No, that's good. I I mean, the whole idea of this is for you to discover in your own experience what's going on. And there is so much social injustice. There is so much injustice in the world that we see every day. And this practice is not about rolling over and just letting everything it's it's about being aware and being true to the primary motive of the universe and that is compassion love and compassion and so when we see injustice and if we have any way of acting to correct that injustice then that would be our focus at the same time, we, we want to wake up from our delusion because through awakening, we are much more likely to be of true service in the world. And so that's a really big piece of this. And I know from my own experience, working in the hospital as, a, as an ICU nurse for a long time, after awakening, I discovered that my response to calamity was a lot more direct and heartful than it had ever been before. My anxiety about this job disintegrated after awakening. And reading people changes. It's like you recognize suffering much more easily 
in a sense, with awakening. And so you're really, you're, you become more skillful. And it's not just with awakening, it's with paying attention to your experience, really. And you open your heart. You become skillful in, in, in helping others. It just becomes a natural unfolding for you. And with awakening, it can't help but be your nature because it's all you. And it's nothing but you. It's all this awakeness manifesting in all of these beautiful manifestations. Yes. You know, I'm in your field also. But do you find that as an enlightened person, even with age with myself, I find uh, I'm more led to um, crying and about different things rather than... uh, Does that compassion increase your emotional behavior? As far... I mean, you have to keep a certain sense of composure, but I mean, it seems like it would be... It would hit you harder as as an enlightened person and maybe someone who's busy with other thoughts that are rolling around. Especially right after awakening, I felt sadness a lot because I could feel the pain. I could feel it. And and this is one of those things where you can't really talk about it. Nothing has actually ever happened. And nothing is going to happen. And nothing is happening now. But at the same time, our heart opens. And with and it's sort of like the two sides of, of consciousness, the two sides of this awakeness. The other side is compassion. And it's because everything in this is you. And, and this awakeness has nothing to lose. It doesn't, it doesn't, it can't be hurt. But it sees suffering and it wants to help. And so it's a natural movement. And so sadness arises, but I began to feel the sadness, it was just love, and it's love, but that love drives action. And so I would be more apt to be helpful. But when you talk about tears, tears, that's a part of the process. You know, for guys, it's hard, because we don't know how to cry, they say. I have had no trouble crying (laughs) in my path. I had a lot of uh, things that, as we all do, that, that... there was nothing, there was no better expression for my experience than to cry and to really, you know, let go. Yeah. Carol, well, I think uh, a piece of this about uh, uh, is feeling, I don't know how to fix this. A little bit louder. Yeah, oh, speak up, speak up, because she couldn't hear. Uh, a piece about this uh, is helplessness, is I don't know how to fix this. And feeling that helplessness. What kind of fixing are you talking about? Well, like she was talking about the the tragedy of the world or oh, yeah. that sort of thing. There is a helplessness in that. Yes. That I do not yes. know how to fix this. So what you can do is you can... repeat? Yeah, okay, sure, sure. She's saying she doesn't know how to fix things, you know, the tragedies in the world, and we feel helpless because there's very little that we can do. However... What we can do is we can open our hearts to our experience. And when we feel something arise to us that is troubling, and it's within our realm of being able to help, we will be ready to do so. We will be ready to help. And, and, it, and it comes through being willing to feel what we feel. So when we read about some horrible tragedy that's taken place, 
and you find that you're pushing it away. So you're in this, this kind of uh, split mind that will continue as long as you don't just let it all be and, and settle your mind in innocence and, and simplicity and with a stable attention. And then you become aware of the, the sense of horror and the sense of helplessness that we feel and we allow it to be just as it is without trying to change it, without trying to do anything about it. Letting it be there. And then the mind goes, yeah, but why? And you can't give a form answer to that question. It's really about loving what is. And generally speaking, we recognize the calamity of the world through the eyes of delusion. God does not see it the way we see it. And, I, and I'm not going to try to say how God sees it, but God is creating it all. And it is all arising as a manifestation of the love of that in all of the ways that it takes place. Anthropomorphize it, maybe? Who knows? It's not really my experience that it's an anthropomorphic idea. It seems really grounded in something genuine and direct. I think I've probably gone on long enough here. So, you're welcome to stick around for tea and conversation. Till we meet again. Peace you all.